Hi there, and welcome to the MM&M Podcast. My name is Jack O'Brien. I am the digital editor at MM&M, and I am lucky to be joined by two guests today, Liana Katz, Senior Vice President of Spherico, a division of GSW, and Adrian Garcia, Executive Vice President of Spherico. Liana and Adrian, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So our big focus today is really what's on the mind of population health decision makers. And I understand that there's a new survey that Spherico has just released that was looking into basically the behaviors of payers to try and better understand that community. And Adrian, I wanted to give you the first stab at this question that we have, which is giving us a little bit of background on the origins of the survey and a little bit behind the methodology of it. Sure. So we started an annual survey, I believe, four years ago. Essentially, just trying to get a better understanding of how payers, population health decision makers, which you said perfectly, are engaging with manufacturers and clients um, of ours and future clients that we'd like to work with. This year, we surveyed about 25 respondents across uh, medical directors, pharmacy directors, the disciplines inside of regional, national plans, as well as IDNs, really to get an understanding of two things. One, how are their priorities shifting? Obviously, we saw a big shift with COVID. You know, is that continuing? Or is there, are we still seeing significant shifts in, in what they're focused on? Uh, and more importantly, from a communications aspect, which is what we do, uh, how should pharma be communicating with those payers to really engage them effectively? And, and so that's really the crux of what we were trying to accomplish with this survey. And I'm really curious in terms of any larger themes or high-level takeaways for our audience, what would those be as it relates to the payer community? So I think something that's still on their minds now is is really COVID. But their focus of COVID has shifted. So we know um, previously they were really focused on managing COVID and supporting treatment and vaccination efforts. But there has been a change in that because we know the, the cost responsibility has, has shifted. So the government's no longer paying for it. And um, payers really need to understand how to manage the costs associated with COVID, just among everything else that they're managing financially. I think another thing that's kind of also been rising on their list of priorities is just really, really preparing to manage a number of like the high cost therapies. So things like cell and gene therapy, we know that these types of products have some pretty like hefty price tags. And um, we know there's a complex reimbursement environment. Um, so they have a lot to figure out there to really ensure that they are, are giving the appropriate access for these novel therapeutics. Um, and I think another thing that's <laughs> that's really on their mind is is things like when you think of disease states like Alzheimer's, for for instance, which has a really high incidence and unmet need. You know, it really has the payers and the government on edge with how are they going to cover therapies that come to market and how are they really going to manage this category? Adrian, anything to add? Yeah, I think the Alzheimer's thing is a unique category, right? You've got a lot of news with these ca- these products that are potentially going to be market changers and really hurt. You know, government payers at most, um, but there's still a lot of uncertainty. And so one thing that we know is payers hate uncertainty, right? That's their whole goal is to manage, um, is manage that uncertainty to the best of their ability. And things like Alzheimer's, things like cell and gene therapy, which again, we don't really know, um, you know, how effective those things are going to be long term. Anything that presents a high level of uncertainty with a high level of cost is something that's going to just you know keep them really really busy preparing for um, and also make them very very nervous to engage those products and, and the pharma companies that are that are delivering those things very 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 skeptical so I think those were the two kind of things we're continuing to see the creep up as those products become closer and closer to marketing 
it's so interesting to hear you bring up those points, especially in light of the Lacan Bob news and obviously wondering uh, industry wide where that's going to go. I am curious as it relates to the survey, if there were any sort of surprises or anything that may have uh, taken you back in terms of findings. Yeah, I mean, I think we were a little surprised to really see that that COVID still still ranked top of list of the list for them. But, you know, we looked at the data and we, we talked to them more. And, and I guess it did make a little bit of sense knowing that that that, um, as I mentioned, their focus shifted. So the fiscal responsibility for COVID with the disease now, it's it's more manageable. There's vaccines, there's treatment options available. It does force them to keep the focus on COVID. So I think, you know, a little bit of a surprise, but diving in, it did make sense. And then I think an, another topic that did seem a little surprising was just how um, in the top three of things that rose on their list was just around biosimilars. It was being one of their focus for 2023. But, you know, when we, we again look at it, we see that there is that continually um, rise in drug costs and um, innovation in, in high incidence diseases. So we know that they're going to continue to look for opportunities to reduce costs where they can. And I think, you know, we could all agree that the, the U.S. has really kind of been behind in optimizing what's available. I'm curious as it relates to kind of the changing business functions that we've seen coming out of COVID, you know, are we still at kind of a business as usual status quo? I mean, how are the payer community really responding to COVID-19 and the lingering effects from it? Yeah, they're operating very consistently, to be honest with you. I, th- I think in a lot of places in our lives, we we are ready to get back to life as usual, except in the workplace. Payers are no different, right? I mean, you can see how any industry, corporations are having a hard time getting employees back to work. I think payers are enjoying the um, quietness that they've had over the past couple of years. They're not really getting to the point where they want to see uh, account managers or MSLs every month. Um, they're definitely engaging more often. Uh, they're probably seeing them more than they were two years ago for sure, but it's absolutely not as frequent as it has been in the past. Um, and honestly, it's kind of a mixed bag. Some payers are, are enjoying or still enjoy kind of like the the gap in face-to-face. And then there's some that are a little bit more eager to to uh, to engage. But, but I'd say the one thing that's really changed... Uh, to, to kind of get back to the way of working before COVID is Congresses. I, I mean, I recently was at Assembia last May. I guess, I guess it's not that recent anymore now that it's November. Uh, but it felt like Assembia five years ago. I mean, the, the place was packed. Uh, sessions were packed. You were seeing customers going out to dinners. Um, they, were, they were walking the halls. It just seemed like they had... They had lost that ability to connect. And that was something that we saw in a previous survey, a previous version of the survey, was they really missed that connection uh, with their peers so much. Um, so I feel like uh, that's just the, the, the start. I think we're going to see another busy cycle this year when you look at the Congresses. And I think eventually they'll get back to that more standard kind of consistent meeting schedule with account managers and MSLs. But their behaviors have absolutely changed. And I don't see it being um, uh, returning to normal anytime soon. As it relates to returning to normal, would you expect that to be in person or has that already occurred? It's already occurred. I mean, there are, there's absolutely more of, a, of an engagement. I think what we're seeing is, you know, on a quarterly basis, when we ask them how often is the right time today, most of them are saying a quarterly session is, is, is ideal. Mm-hmm. I think historically you might have seen a really top account, maybe monthly. You see somebody in that system or in that organization uh, on a monthly basis. I think they're getting pushed out a little bit more. 
Um, but, but I think, but I think it's going to happen. It's just going to take some time still. Leon, I wanted to ask you just in terms of where payers are spending their time, you know, what are some of the current priorities? I know Adrian was just kind of listing some of them off there, but you know, from your perspective, what are those top priorities and maybe how have they changed in recent years? I think what's what's really been top priority or on top mind of payers um, and things that they've been looking for are things like the professional guidelines or any guidelines that are changing. I know payers are also really interested in any real world evidence data and health economics data. So we know that that's just the information and things that payers want to see. What else is on top of mind when it comes to payers? Yeah, I think I think the real surprising thing is that that there's a, a little bit of a, a perspective, at least it has been. I mean, I've been in market access now almost 20 years. And I think that historically, what you always heard if you worked in pharma and you weren't in market access was all the payers cared about was the dollar, was the contracting. That's that's where they wanted to go. That's where they wanted to spend their time from a discussion standpoint. And trust me, I'm not saying that those things aren't important. But I think what we're really starting to see is they're really wanting to understand what are they really getting out of what they're paying for. I think there's a lot more, um, uh, uh, there's a greater desire to dig into what's the value of the product. As things become more competitive, as things become more expensive, you know, Leanna mentioned, what's that real world evidence? What's the health economic evidence that you have? Show me how this product is going to work. And it's not so much, even for launch, uh, it's not so much just for products on the market that have uh, evidence from a, from a real world standpoint. They want to know from new products, like how is this going to stack up against the competition? How is it going to stack up against current standard of care? And so you're seeing companies really think through beyond clinical trial data that they need for an approval or for an indication. What are the other data points that they're going to need to really demonstrate the value that they have in the marketplace, especially as these products become more and more expensive and more and more tailored to certain disease states? So it's really shifting from just a contracting and clinical study data package to what other evidence can you have to help me understand? And if you don't have it at launch, how are you going to show me over the course of being on the market the first year, the first two years to demonstrate that value? That's how a lot of these risk-based contracts are, are coming into play and things like that. They're trying to see what's the real value I'm getting out of these contracts or these, these negotiations. One area of the survey that really interested me was focusing on how payers get their information. And I'm curious, just what were some of the learnings there, some of the findings as it relates to how they get their information, what that means for pharma manufacturers, and are payers utilizing social media for professional purposes? I know that we've been seeing kind of a a dance in terms of where companies want to be as it relates to their social media presence. That's a great question. And honestly, this is a key reason why we do this survey, because ultimately we need these insights to help us tailor our communication strategies for our clients. Um, let's start with the social media, because everybody's kind of eager for payers. Right? If you think about pharma in general, it's been slow to kind of evolve in the social media space uh, compared to other industries. And then, of course, the population health decision makers are even slower. Um, and, and I'd say that, are they using social media? Yeah, sure. Our data... Our data demonstrate that they are using social media. Are they using it necessarily to get information from manufacturers or to identify opportunities to get information from manufacturers? We don't have the data that say that. What we do know is there is a continued shift in how they are engaging pharma from a digital footprint standpoint. I think if you would have asked uh, you know, me five years ago, 
you know, how, how often should or how much should a, a manufacturer, a payer marketing organization depend on digital information to communicate to payers? I would say maybe top 10 reasons. We're seeing them now going online almost first uh, to get information. Um, they're using search of all things to find the information, first of all. So, hey, what does that tell you as a manufacturer? It tells you you need, to, you need to make sure that you have the content available and you need to make it easy to find. But more importantly, they're going to manufacturer websites. Um, it's actually listed in the top three resources for them to seek out information for them to make their decisions. We've been pushing, uh, I'd like to say we were ahead of the curve. I'm not sure if we're the only ones, but we've been pushing our clients and, and prospective clients to really think about, okay, what does your footprint look like for your brand that's payer specific, right? We know we can't just take uh, something that's developed for a provider or a healthcare professional and just give it to a payer to make their decisions. They need different levels of information. They need different types of information. And so we've been on the leading edge of pushing our clients to do that. That doesn't necessarily mean it has to be some huge, gigantic payer portal. There's a spectrum here, right? Uh, for some of those larger companies with large portfolios with you know a multitude of products and categories that are highly complex, sure, it may mean making a, a payer portal, not necessarily to compete with things like the formulaDecisions.com website, but something to offer payers just for their tools. For a smaller company, maybe they have one product that they're commercializing, maybe a couple. It, it may just be a simple landing page on their, on their brand um, website or a microsite that's something that's simple but curates information that's tailored to the payers. Again, it doesn't have to be something huge, but we think a lot of companies are missing the opportunity here because all the data point to them continuing to go to digital resources and brand resources that are provided by the manufacturer to get information. Uh, it's a place where they're going, and we think it's a place where our clients have to be there to meet their needs. Liana and Adrian, I've really appreciated you being here on the show and passing along your insights to our audience. Just to wrap up our conversation here, I want to ask about the topic of health equity, which is one that I've I've reported on for a long time, and obviously it's one that I imagine the payer community has some interest in. I was just kind of curious if you have any sort of insights and maybe the strategies or the focus that they're pursuing as it relates to health equity? Yeah, I, th I think it's a, it's another opportunity, right? In every RFP that we get today, um, it's a topic that they want to, they want to understand how do we help payers with health equity? How do we influence health equity, especially some of our larger clients where it's a corporate wide initiative. It doesn't, it doesn't miss the importance to us as well. I think this is a this is an open space for for manufacturers with payers. Uh, payers, when we talk to payers about this, both in our survey, but also when we talk to them doing research for other projects, what we hear a lot of times is like they they would love to figure out how they play in this space. They kind of see themselves as so far removed from the end result of equity because they're not driving clinical trials. They're not necessarily deciding which patient gets which product, right? It's That's the provider's issue or that's the clinical research team. They kind of see themselves as removed. They're actually looking for ways to help influence uh, health equity, to help improve health equity. And, and we really feel this is a place where, you know, manufacturers can leverage what they know, what they're doing um, to really pull payers in to this to this conversation and help them see how they can add value. Uh, so it's it's actually, a, it's a huge opportunity, we believe, for manufacturers to kind of shift from that transactional relationship that a lot of them are in with population health decision makers into more of a partnership role. 
which is really where you start to see the benefits uh, from from a formulary access standpoint and an affordability standpoint. It, it's it's an untapped area for sure. Excellent. Well, again, Liana and Adrian, I really appreciate you coming on the show here, and hopefully we can have another follow-up discussion somewhere down the line. Thanks, Jack. Thank you.